COVID-19. It's a tale of two crises, as leaders around the world are faced with a harsh choice. Keep economies closed and face financial pandemonium, or open back up and risk even more infection and death. As officials grapple with these difficult decisions, what has the national government done to fight the pandemic? How have governors confronted the disease on their state's doorsteps? Where does the U.S. fit into the global efforts to stop the virus? All that and much more tonight on Pandemic Perspective, a BUTV10 special report. In the United States and abroad, governments have grappled with the heavy task of governing during a pandemic. With leaders divided over how severely to close and when to reopen, we take a deep dive into the calculus of addressing a public health emergency. Welcome to episode two of Pandemic Perspective, a BUTV 10 special report. I'm Chloe Hudson. And I'm Chloe Liu. Tonight, we analyze the measures taken by foreign leaders to curtail the spread of COVID-19. We'll hear from Lieutenant General Jack Weinstein of the U.S. Air Force for his analysis of the international coronavirus response. Then we'll speak to Shiko Thury, a producer at Boston NPR member station WBUR, for an update on the state of the fourth estate during the COVID-19 outbreak. But first, President Trump's approach to containing the spread has set him apart from several state governors. Professor Glenn Noah is the director of the Center for Health and Risk Communications at the University of Georgia. He is also the former director of media relations at the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. He joined us to break down the response from the president and the country's governors to this public health crisis. Dr. Nowak, welcome to Pandemic Perspective. Thank you. How would you characterize the communication from the CDC and the White House so far about the coronavirus? Well, I think it's been somewhat um, challenging that scientists and elected officials often have uh, different priorities. And so CDC and public health is right now currently focused on trying to get the science out, trying to tell people what they should do to protect themselves and their community. And as, you, as we have all seen, is that some of those measures um, have pretty significant impact on, on society and, and, and the economy. And elected officials have to be mindful of those other priorities. And so the end result is that there's sometimes competing messages. With regards to these messages that they're giving out, how much of a leading role should the White House have uh, in recommending pharmaceuticals? Well, ideally, you want to have healthcare providers, scientists, and experts talk about things that are related to health and medicine, because they've got much more experience in terms of um, those topics. And the, it would probably be best for elected officials to talk about things such as society, economy, unifying the country, or some of the other competing values and priorities that have to be considered in decisions. And so I think what, it becomes difficult if, if people who are not experts in health and science and medicine are giving advice because one, they don't have experience in those areas. And two, they're, they're not gonna be as credible and it, it'll be much harder for the full spectrum of people to trust them. How do you balance the need to um, inform the public with this, you know, we're constantly learning new things about the pandemic, as well as the need to prevent uh, in, inducing mass panic? Well, mass panic rarely happens. I mean, I, I don't know that panic is something that you often or ever, or you, it's, it's rare. I mean, a, a strict definition of panic is people are taking actions that have no value. And most of the actions people take have value. They may not have immediate value, but if you're telling people that you should be ready to stay at home for weeks, 
it's not surprising then that some people buy a lot of groceries. That's not panic. They're, they're actually following your advice, perhaps more so than you wanted them to, but they, they are following your advice. It also turns out that you have to generally have some level of concern or worry or fear or anxiety for people to be motivated. Most of us will not take actions unless we have some level of motivation. We have to be, we have to care, right? And so fear is not necessarily a challenge. The bigger challenge we often face in, in, in trying to get people to respond is apathy and denial. They, they don't want to take the actions that we're recommending. And so that's, that's usually a bigger problem than panic. But I think we have to be comfortable with the fact that when something like a new virus comes along, it's going to cause fear among some people, anxiety, worry, and concern. And then we should use that because now we have their attention, which is something that's really hard to do is get people to pay attention to health advice and health recommendations. But now we have it. And so now that we have it, we need to use it to give them sound advice to help protect themselves and their family. What are some of the challenges in effectively communicating essential information to the public? Well, one of the challenges is sounding too certain, making, uh, letting, you know, making predictions or claims that may not come true because the situation may evolve in ways that you never anticipated. So you have to be really careful with certainty. You need to share uncertainty with people. And so you should be telling people that we're not sure. You have to probably be prepared or you should be prepared to talk about different possibilities. So rather than choose one, you should be able to tell people, well, if we take these actions, here's the best case scenario. Here's the worst case scenario. And here's what we think is the likely or the most likely scenario. And so you, you, you have to describe more than one scenario. And I think a third thing is you, you really need to give people the, the basis for your recommendations. You need to tell them your reasons why you're recommending something. And you need to be honest with them about what you know about how effective it will be or how effective um, it might be. Looking at uh, the CDC communications for this pandemic, how would you compare that to uh, past outbreaks? Well, in past outbreaks, the CDC played a, a much more prominent and visible role in speaking to the public and to the media. I was media relations director at CDC in 2009, and we had the lead. And so the CDC director and many of the CDC experts were the ones who were doing daily press briefings. We did a press conference every single day for eight straight weeks, including Saturdays and Sundays. And it was the CDC director, along with whatever science experts were most relevant to the issues that were being discussed that day. We made a point very early on from the first press conferences to tell people, to tell journalists that things were going to change rapidly and unpredictably. And when that happened, it could mean that our recommendations and advice were going to change pretty rapidly. And that really helped because when that did happen, people said, yeah, they told us that that was going to happen. So it makes sense. They now have some examples of that. We told people early on and very often that you're going to see differences in how states respond to this new flu virus, how countries respond to this new flu virus. And that makes sense because the virus is playing out in different ways in different places. And so they're going to have to take actions and steps that are in line with how the virus is playing out. If they don't have flu in their community, they're probably going to be doing certain things. If there is a lot of flu in their community, they're going to be doing other things. Looking at 
again, the media coverage overall about this pandemic so far. How would you assess that? Well, I think the media have done a really good job overall. And I say that for a number of reasons. I mean, one, there has been so much that they have had to learn. And in the U.S. and probably across the world, there are not a lot of health and medical and science reporters. And so what has had to, what's happened across the United States is a lot of other reporters have had to cover a health and science and medical issue. And I think they've done a really good job for the most part getting up to speed. Do you have any pieces of advice for the people out there who are trying to make up their minds and sorting through all of this information they're getting? Well, probably the best thing you can do is, is you know, first I, I would say, look to official sources to see what they're saying. You may not agree with them, but I, but I think you have to start and make sure that you actually know what they're actually saying. So, so I would say go to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention website. Look at the Department of Health and Human, Resource, Health and Human Services website. Look at your state health department or local health department website. I think you have, yeah, I think you have to start there. And then I think I, I, would, I would look at other sources. And if you're gonna look at media sources, I would probably say look at a, a spectrum of them. And, and, and see what is the New York Times saying and what is, or what is you know, Vox saying. You might want to look at some science sources. I mean, Scientific America or um, Nature. There's a whole bunch of, there are, there are places that are typically science journals, but they're trying and they have been doing a pretty good job of trying to make their information more accessible to a broader audience. Thank you so much again for your time and for your Thank interview. You. Thanks for the invitation. The United States has a domestic and an international role to play in the world's fight against COVID-19. I spoke with Lieutenant General Jack Weinstein of the U.S. Air Force about his thoughts on the global response to the pandemic. General Weinstein, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Of course, it's great to have you. Where have you seen the best execution in combating the pandemic? Well, you know, that's a fascinating question. Um, you know, if you look at the United States, some of the best execution has really been at the state level by the governors in some of the states have really done a tremendous job. I can look at what Washington State has done, what California has done, um, Governor Cuomo in New York, and even in Massachusetts with Governor Baker has some really strong leadership, and they've been doing a phenomenal job leading their states. Internationally, I would say it was the countries that realized it was a pandemic from the very beginning, and they used science as their barometer on making decisions, not uh, politics to make their decisions. So when I look around the world, uh, the first country that really comes to mind is Australia. Australia uh, made a decision for the government on February 27th that they were gonna react to this pandemic before the World Health Organization did anything. Um, Angela Merkel in uh, Germany has been phenomenal her leadership and what she's done and they started off early and when I look at European nations uh, a lot can be said for the way um, President Macron has done in France and uh, as I mentioned in Germany what they've done uh, Britain was late to the scene uh, on making decisions for the virus um, extremely impressed on some southeastern Asian nations and what they've done uh, Singapore, for example, has done a great job. What's interesting on Singapore is that they're now starting to see a resurgence in the virus from initially putting down the virus. So I think that's a topic we need to have a discussion about is what do we see for the future when it comes to a pandemic, especially since we don't have a vaccine yet. 
How much freedom do you think is reasonable to restrict in these times? I think whatever it takes to protect your citizens uh, without violating their privacy is, um, is okay during this period of time. For example, I think restricting movements of people outside is uh, very much in the power of the government. Because remember, what we need to do is, it's my responsibility to make sure I don't give it to you and your responsibility not to give it to me. And I think that's a really important aspect. Now, do I want the government to be tracking my cell phone and where my cell phone is located? The answer is no. I don't really want them to use uh, electronic means to track me as other nations have used electronic means. But I think if you're gonna protect a population, keeping people home, uh, making sure that only essential services are uh, available for people, um, I think is well in the realm of trying to control this. How much blame, if any, should we be assigning to the Chinese government for their management of the early stages of the pandemic? Um, a lot of fault goes to the Chinese government for this. Um, they have an entire system that is built uh, with party rule. Uh, it broke out, and when it broke out in Wuhan and people were dying of a pneumonia-like illness, that information should have been brought forward immediately, and it wasn't. So there have been, uh, I put blame on the Chinese government. I do not believe, and I'll put this right up front, I do not believe it was a bioweapon that got out of a laboratory. Um, but I do believe they had a right to tell um, the entire world what was going on, uh, and they didn't do that right from the very beginning, so I believe that's a problem. How much of their information can we believe and how can we tell what's reliable? That's the million dollar question. Uh, one, I believe very little of what the Chinese government tells me because the Chinese government is, when they're talking to the international community, they're also talking to their own people at the very same time. So they're gonna be controlling information because that's what a authoritarian regime does is control information. So I believe a little bit of what happens. Um, how do you know what's truthful? I think you have to look at multiple sources and you have to look at what reputable um, journalists are really providing. And I think that's the key here. Um, an open press and getting difference of opinion are absolutely key. If the Chinese government are the only ones providing information on what is happening in China, then I believe it very little. We've seen President Trump accusing the World Health Organization of being too lax on the Chinese government. How would you respond to that? Um, I think the uh, President of the United States is looking for someone to blame uh, because sometimes it's much easier to blame other people than looking into the mirror. Um, uh, I wanna talk about the positive things that the World Health Organization does and what they do for the, the planet, which I think is extremely important. Um, what we need to do is what I would call in my previous life in the military world, lessons learned. We need to figure out the entire time frame and map out who did what to whom at that period of time. But right now where we are in a pandemic with people all over the world suffering and dying is not the time to take away funding from the World Health Organization. And, um, and putting blame on them is really an unfair characterization of what has happened. And it's a way for you to diffuse what is actually happening in your own country. How would you characterize President Trump's international response to the virus? Um, it's America focused. It's really not been an international focus. 
I think what um, the United States should do is show international leadership when it comes to, uh, we're all in this together. Uh, there's no such thing as a border. Oceans don't protect us anymore. So I think the responsibility of the United States president, as well as all international leaders, is working together to solve the problem. Uh, across the planet, we have really smart doctors trying to uh, figure out the best ways to care for a patient. We have um, researchers now trying to develop a vaccine. What we should be working together as um, an international body is what is the quickest way together we can develop a vaccine? What are the best solutions to take care of people that are in the hospital? What is the best way to curb this? And I think we need to work more as an international body and less so as individual nations because it doesn't work if you work in a vacuum. Thank you, General Weinstein. My pleasure, thank you very much. Students here in BU's journalism department have continued reporting despite the coronavirus. BU TV 10's Haley Chai Singh spoke to a few of them on what it's like to report during these unprecedented times. I report for Inside Hockey and Bruins slash Pride Diehards. I work with sports production and all of my classes require reporting right now. I'm reporting mainly for my classes or sometimes for buns. I currently report for WTBU News. I report for NBC10 Boston on the pandemic. What has it been like to report during the pandemic? It's been a really big lesson on empathy for me, on how to be a journalist with empathy and learning how to work around other people and their feelings and their experiences. It's actually led to a lot more packages and more in-depth things being reported on. Zoom has shut down on me a number of times with talking to sources in the middle of my interviews. It's obviously harder to, you know, change from in-person to now on-screen. Uh, we can't really get that raw emotion that you would get like in the moment. What have you learned as a reporter that you think you will apply following the pandemic? I had to train myself like I'm doing right now to look into the camera when I do interviews because otherwise I would just look at you, look at myself. Being um, on top of everything and kind of nagging the people that you want to talk to. I really wanted to be a sports journalist. That's my main goal. Um, and this pandemic has really broadened my horizon into the other aspects of journalism. How have you been able to stay focused and positive while reporting during the pandemic? You're in it together. Your professor in there for the first time. Everybody is, you know, going through this for the first time. So it, it kind of gives us a new sense of community. We're all going through this together. We're all being affected in our day-to-day -day lives because of coronavirus and we're all trying to work through it together. So it's kind of unifying in a way. Around the world and here at home, journalists are working to provide their audiences with the latest numbers, information and medical advice from experts as the pandemic continues. I sat down with Shiko Theory, a producer at NPR Boston affiliate WBUR, to discuss how she and her colleagues are staying on top of this story. Shiko Theory, welcome to Pandemic Perspective. First of all, how have you approached covering the pandemic? We always have to look at the big picture of how the government is responding to the pandemic with um, how they interpret facts from the experts, but also um, how they implement policies um, to decide how we're going to get through this. Um, and then we really try to go kind of more microscopic to look at 
states and how their leaders are handling it. And then smaller than that, how uh, local communities are, are dealing with it as well. Um, so it's very much a big picture and small picture kind of uh, balance that we try to strike. Um, and that includes everything from, you know, talking to a White House correspondent to uh, speaking with um, a family member of someone who lost, uh, who died from COVID-19. How do you balance delivering these facts without unnecessarily alarming your audience? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think first and foremost, we have to remember that facts uh, lead and trump everything. Um, if we don't have the facts, then there's really no story there. And um, sometimes those facts can be alarming, um, as you're, you're saying. Um, but I think there's, there's always a good, um, when, when you book a guest, you have to remember that that guest has to speak to not only the reality, but also kind of um, the, the fears that come with it. And, and that guest should be able to uh, present some clarity but also um, a sense of, um, hey, we're getting through this together and uh, you know, we're learning it, uh, about it as, as quickly as you are. And um, there's still a lot of uncertainty. And I think reassuring people that this is not a normal time and that this, there's so much uncertainty out there um, can really kind of help balance that. How much coronavirus news is too much? Mm. I mean, you certainly want to keep on top of what's going on, especially because it's such a fast developing um, story and there's so many different aspects of it. It's literally crippling everything, every aspect of life. So it's important to be you know, informed, but I think to stay sane and for just any human being, um, it's good to take a break. Um, maybe turn off your notifications every once in a while. Uh, don't watch cable news uh, back to back. Uh, for an extended period of time. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, you, you do have to be, uh, you know, stay on top of the stories and stay on top of the latest developments and, and what government leaders are saying. But, um, you know, this is not a time to like stick your head in the sand as well and, and just be like, I don't want to hear all the negative uh, news. I think it's, it's in everyone's best interest to be informed on um, any aspect of uh, this virus, whether it's you know, whatever aspect is most interesting to you, um, just have a mu much more informed, comprehensive idea of what's going on. What specific challenges have you dealt with in reporting on this illness? Yeah, I think the most difficult part is is um, trying to help people understand what's happening now and um, giving a real-time kind of understanding of where we're at with this, because um, we know we're, we're behind in testing and we're uh, behind, we're probably undercounting. And um, that can, for some people, it can give the illusion that maybe it's not as bad as uh, what the media, I put that in quotes, is uh, making it out to be. Um, and so it can really kind of uh, threaten the urgency or the perception of urgency for some people. Um, so that's, I think that's difficult to kind of have people understand that we're trying to be a, as on top of this and ahead of it as we can, um, but there's only so much data and there's only limited resources uh, that we have to give us a, a clear to date picture of what's going on right now. How do you stay focused and maintain your composure while reporting on such a daunting crisis? Mm. 
Um, I think you have to just keep things into perspective. Um, and I really try to remind myself that, you know, someone out there is experiencing it much worse than I am. And it can be overwhelming to be reporting and focusing on this story all the time. But I can only imagine what healthcare workers are going through and, uh, you know, people who've lost loved ones, what they're going through. And I think that really kind of reminds me of why I'm doing this and, and, um, refocuses my purpose um, every day. Finally, how would you assess the media's coverage of the coronavirus? Um, I think it's a mixed bag. I think um, most are doing all, all they can and the best they can um, in not only combating misinformation, but holding the president to account, um, trying to get the latest information out there as fast as possible, but also make sure it's accurate. We know that conservative media has been really um, irresponsible in some of their reporting and um, has really it just didn't take this seriously for a very long time and uh, was peddling a lot of misinformation to people. And um, we're, we're seeing some of the effects of that. And um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's a mixed bag of across the board. Um, you know, the media is very large uh, kind of vague term uh, to, to bundle everyone in. But um, yeah, I think it just depends on who you're, you're looking at and examining. Shiko Theodi, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, it's a pleasure. Now we'll wrap things up for this episode of Pandemic Perspective. We'd like to thank our guests, Professor Glenn Noah, Lieutenant General Jack Weinstein, and Shiko Theodi for their insight and analysis. And as we say goodbye, we want to remind you to stay tuned for From a Distance, the BUTV10 Variety Hour on May 21st. On behalf of all of us here at BUTV10, I'm Chloe Hudson. And I'm Chloe Liu. Thanks for watching and stay safe.